brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We do have a great panel to kick off this session, and um, we labeled it TV or not TV, and, and really the idea is to share with everybody the, some of the new research that, we've, that my panelists have uh, been doing on how people are watching TV and watching video, and um, we'll get going in a second. I just have one brief story, and the reason this came to my head actually was um, what happened in my household a couple of years ago now where I was sitting with my youngest daughter who's actually now 20 but I think she was a couple of years younger at the time and we were just talking about what we were watching on TV and I said to her oh you know as in, in the conversation I said to her what's your favorite TV channel and she looked at me as if I had three heads and she said what is a what is a TV channel and that was kind of like a real moment for me to realize that what we think of as TV is not, is not necessarily how people think of TV today. So I, I thought it would be good to get different perspectives. Um, we've got a great panel here. Um, I'm going to have them introduce themselves as they... Actually, why don't we have everyone just briefly introduce yourself, and then we'll get straight into their brief presentations, and then we'll have time at the end for Q&A. So we'll go hey, right there. Aaron Fetters from Comscore. Stu Schwartzapple from Canvas. Dan Ackerman from Samba TV. And uh, Dan Schiffman from T-Vision Insights. So we will, I think that's the order we're speaking. So what, Aaron, if you'd take like to Take it away. Yes. All right, hey, good morning, everyone. Let's see if this, uh, okay. So hopefully everyone is familiar with Comscore. We do both digital and, and television measurement. And we like to say that times are changing and measurement must change with it. So um, I think this idea of TV of the future is a perfect topic or a perfect theme for some of the things that we're doing at Comscore. Um, you know, it's very interesting. We talk a lot about digital and the investments that are going into digital right now, but uh, anyone, just a guess, anyone know who two of the biggest current investors in TV advertising are? Two brands that are some of the biggest investors in TV advertising. Any guesses? Oh wait, what did I hear behind me? Google, Google and Amazon. Two of the biggest investors right now in TV advertising are Google and Amazon. So anytime someone says, yeah, it's not about TV anymore, TV's dead, I'm like, no, that's not true. Google and Amazon are investing heavily into TV advertising. So we know that TV is still alive and well, but very much alive and well. Um, and, but it's changing. As Tracy kicked it off and you know, started, Definitely the way that we consume TV is changing. We still consume TV, it's just it's different. And we say that times are changing and measurement must change with it. And one of the things that I love to talk about from Comscore is the investment we're making in what I'll talk about today, something called the Total Home Panel. The reason I love it is because it's kind of like future-proofing media measurement in my mind. If we know that we're going to look a lot more like the family on the my left, your right, in the future, then we have to future-proof the way that we do measurement, right? And the Total Home Panel, for us, is an initiative where we have uh, recruited households to 
actually install a device, uh, install a device at the household level that allows us to observe all of the Wi-Fi activity happening in the household. So anything that's connected to your Wi-Fi router, we're seeing that activity and we're able to start to collect that, process it, and measure it for what's happening at the household level uh, across all connected devices, right? So it's been a very interesting initiative. We're starting to see some, some pretty interesting data out of it. Um, we have a large enough panel that we're able to um, project essentially U.S. or national level behavior. And I think the, the thing that people want to really hone in on usually is OTT behavior, over the top. Anything that is um, a connected device that allows you to view content on the traditional TV screen, we would put that in the OTT. So smart TVs, Roku's, Amazon Fire's, those type of devices, Xboxes, Sony, Playstations, um, those all fit into OTT. And you can see that the adoption of OTT is pretty incredible at this point. In fact, if you, if you aggregate all OTT together, more than 55, 56% of households now have an OTT device um, that they are using at least once a month in the household, which is pretty incredible, uh, I think. So we're seeing very, very rapid growth. We're seeing growth in things like the Internet of Things, wearables, smart refrigerators, smart thermostats, et cetera. But OTT is, I think, where marketers, buyers and sellers of media right now really want to understand what's going on with OTT. So in those households that are, that are streaming content, we're looking at 55 million households today that use OTT, as I said, 58% reach, so uh, yeah, above 55%. And the average household is viewing 52 hours of, of streaming content a month which is pretty incredible. It's already a very, very solid number. Um, and that's like 15 average, average viewing days. So if you think about how many days out of the month do I actually watch something on a streaming service, it's about 15 days a month on the average household. And what do we watch? By and large, obviously, Netflix. Uh, the majority of streaming content does come through Netflix today. Uh, but you can see that I wouldn't even say, sometimes we say the second tier of service providers. I don't even think they're second tier. They're growing very quickly. But YouTube, Hulu, Amazon, and others uh, are, are becoming very significant players in, in consumers' attention and attracting consumers' attention, right? So we are watching the content that these guys are putting out. And it's interesting that all four of those streaming providers as consumers, we're averaging more than two hours of usage per day. Per the day that we watch, per viewing day, we're spending more than two hours at a time with those services. So binge viewing is obviously a, a real thing. Uh, you know, when we start a show on Amazon or a show on Netflix, we tend to watch at least two of them, apparently, uh, because we're spending more than two hours a day on these services. And that's, so that's a pretty big uh, time consumption, attention consumption, right? And there is some clear brand affinity. So you can see, if you look at the Amazon Fire, if, you have an, if your OTT device is an Amazon Fire device, you're much more likely to observe or consume Amazon content, right? Um, Netflix is pretty consistent across any devices, but if you have an Apple device, you're probably more likely to consume Hulu in this case. Um, so it's an interesting connection between the brand affinities of the device and the streaming service. Where are we going from here? Um, you know, I mentioned the, the total home panel is not there just to look at OTT. That's a, a very interesting output. But 
we're going to measure everything. Um, and we, we already see this data. We're just trying to figure out what do you do with that data? What do I do with, uh, you know, connected refrigerators and thermostats and wearable devices? Um, but that's what we think that in the future marketers uh, and sellers of media are going to want to understand is what are people doing with the, the connected devices? Um, what's in your home office, your appliance, et cetera. So that's we're going, where we're going with that. And we're also going to provide this data as a, I don't know if this is a build. Yeah, it is. Um, as a raw data feed, so a lot of uh, a lot of our clients want to take this data and say, "Hey, I, I need to I need to understand the, a day in the life of my consumer in terms of how they're consuming content, and I want to use that information to feed my own planning systems, to feed my own insights, to generate plans for how to communicate with them, when to communicate with them, on what device, what content, etc." That's where we're going with the the total home panels to be able to provide that information at a very granular level, so that our clients can can take that and they can turn that into insights about their consumer and what they do with it. So I think I'm going to turn it over, but um, key insights is OTT is very well um, penetrated and adopted at this point. What we see is that the your amount of consumption does have something to do with the makeup of your household. We, we have this, you know, there's the cord cutters, but we actually have something we call the cord nevers. Uh, if you've, and there's a whole group of individuals, mostly in the millennial uh, generation, that have never had a subscription service to television. And when I when I show data about millennials TV viewing behavior versus boomers, 55 plus, there's all there's often a question of, well, do you think the millennials as they age are gonna act more like boomers? And I say no, because they're cord nevers. They've never had a subscription TV service. So they, it's just not something that they're ever going to get into. They're gonna continue to stream content. Um, and we look at that and that does definitely have a correlation to behavior. Uh, and the next wave of content is very interesting. While Netflix and Amazon and Hulu really control the content today, uh, the networks are now taking very real notice. And we see this, right? So NBC, ABC, CBS, they are taking very real notice and they're getting very serious about producing content for OTT and streaming services. And I think that's going to drive the future of the content that we see. Um, so we're very excited to continue to watch this, observe it and work with our clients to pass the data on and uh, create insights. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, I think the next uh, speaker is Stu. So. Possibly. Morning, everybody. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Helen, for uh, inviting us to participate in the panel. Um, I'm from Canvas. Canvas is an emotion measurement company. Uh, you know that I have a right to be here because we have a bunch of smiling millennials with different devices, so we're off to a good start. So uh, Canvas is a 40-person startup. We're based in the Flatiron District, or excuse me, we just moved to the, uh, to the financial district. Um, and we focus in emotion measurement. And I'm here today to talk to you about what we call emotional reactions, which is kind of our core metric. So when, when Helen told me about the panel, you know, specifically she said that we're trying to uncover different ways that social media and television are relating to one another. Is it causal? Is it driving it? What's the relationship? What sorts of changing behaviors and how people are consuming television can we, can we shed some light on? Um, we've done a number of interesting studies as of late that I'd love to kind of shine the spotlight on today. But a little bit about Canvas. As I said, we measure emotional reactions. So quite simply, 
of all the billions of tweets and comments and mentions and replies that are specifically tied to television programming that are put out into the social ether every single year, we're talking upwards of two billion of them per year, any of them that are emotional are an emotional reaction. So if I- Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I say, you know, Last night's episode of Grey's was hashtag amazing, hashtag ABC, hashtag Shonda. That's an emotional reaction. If I check in generically and I say hashtag Grey's, you know, it's interesting. We want to count it towards the total, but not much qualitative color to analyze there. So Canvas specializes in measuring emotional reactions. And, and again, there are billions of them per year specifically about television. Now, you know, a lot of people in the industry um, across the entertainment ecosystem you know, they recognize social's importance, but some of them don't really know what to do with it, right? We understand it's big, it's scalable, but we're not 100% sure how to action off of it. Well, tuning an actionable signal requires deep cultural understanding. And what I mean by that is you can't appeal to an audience if you don't understand them. And when we talk about millennials and Gen Z, they literally speak a different language. I'm not being like facetious, it's, it's actually not in the dictionary. It's not even in the urban dictionary. And we have built a ground-up ontology of more than 5 million emotional expressions ranging from snark, sarcasm, colloquialisms, slang, misspellings, we're even classifying emojis. And these are, this knowledge base is allowing us to pull in the billions of tweets and comments each year that are coming from these generations about television and actually make sense of them and tune an actionable, actionable signal about them. Just on the screen here, illustrative of some of those colloquialisms, like Yas with 10 S's, right? I'm so on fleek right now, or I'm lit, or you know, somebody's bay. You know, I'm not cool enough to actually understand what this stuff means. I have some folks from my team in the audience that are younger than me, but they told me that this is cool. Um, you don't have to believe me that this stuff is important. We're actually working with about 90% of US TV networks have embraced Canvas as the, the standard in emotion measurement. We're also working with a number of the OTT providers, movie studios, production companies, and media agencies, so kind of a broad swath across the entertainment industry. So, you know, you're going to hear a lot about attention today, right? And why do we care about attention? Because attention translates to impressions. But we know that impressions are not all created equal, right? On the, on the right, we have two broke girls. Maybe somebody's got the vacuum cleaner on. They're, they're cooking dinner. You know, are they really paying attention, or is the TV just on? Whereas on the left, we have Empire. People are appointment viewing this show. They're sitting down. They're on the edge of their seats. Which of the two would you rather have if you're choosing to invest in a program? Probably the one on the left, right? Because they're more engaged. So we know that not all attention is created equal. With Canvas's emotional reaction signal, we have a further proof point of certain programs and how, how people are actually emotionally engaged in those programs. And we like to think that emotionality is the, is the best kind of attention. Uh, and that's, that's kind of our stance here at Canvas. So with all that being said, we're empowering networks and agencies to prioritize emotionality and emotional connections. 
So we know that attention is somewhat difficult to quantify, and it's, it's, it's a bit newer to the space, so it's sometimes hard to prove. Um, there are holes that can be poked in various methodologies. So again, having this very scalable subset of people who are raising their hand and saying, I am head over heels in love with this show, or I can't stand this show, please take it off the air, or you know, every, every mix in between, this is, this is a proof point people are paying attention. And we believe it's a proxy for viewership. So, uh, you know, how do we, you know, to bring this to life, um, we, we've done a study. We partnered with Georgetown University. Uh, I'd like to take you through some of those findings today. Uh, the goal of the study was to determine the pr predictive power of emotional reactions and live viewership specifically. And I'm going to tell you guys more about that in a moment. So before we dive into the study results, you know, when we talk about live viewership, right, certainly this is at this point in our kind of media landscape, this is a, a piece of the pie, right? It's not the entire revenue pie for linear. We know that all the way up until seven days out from the actual live window, uh, networks are monetizing each of their shows. But with that being said, live is still pretty important, right? We know it accounts for a large share of revenue. We know that it plays a big role in how networks negotiate with cable operators. Uh, we know that it plays a big role in what tier or package the cable companies are putting the shows into. So live still certainly matters. So the two questions that we sought to answer in partnering with, partnering with Georgetown on this study were, what, what is the impact of emotional reactions at large on next week's live airing ratings? Okay. Secondarily, as a subset to total emotional reactions, we took a look at talent. People who react to talent specifically, what is the relationship between those emotional reactions and live viewership the next week? So overall emotional reactions and, ta and talent specific. Just some quick stats for you. We looked at 621 episodes across 55 individual programs. We focused on broadcast and specifically scripted originals within the broadcast space. And here's what we found. There are positive correlations in both instances. So for total emotional reactions that are expressed against an original scripted series on the broadcast networks, we saw a positive correlation between emotional reactions and week-over-week -week live viewership increases. Secondarily, we saw an even stronger correlation between talent-related emotional reactions and live viewership the next week. So in both cases, we saw emotional reactions playing a significant role in week-over-week -week increases. So here, here's a kind of, it was a very exhaustive study. If we had more time, I'd, I'd kind of take you guys through all the findings, but just kind of illustratively, when we look at the 10 episodes that were more tweeted than any other episode in the, in the study that we did, it actually came up to Star, This Is Us, and Once Upon a Time. So those three series accounted for the 10 most tweeted episodes within our sample size. So just illustratively, when we look at those 10 episodes, we saw that for emotional reactions at large, which is once again, somebody who's quite simply saying, I loved last night's episode of Star, Queen Latifah's the shit, etc." we found a 10% increase in emotional reactions would increase the engaged live viewership by 1.6% in the, in the next episode. We also found a 20% increase would increase the fraction engaged in live viewing by 7.1%. Right? And now if we look on the other side, 
talent-specific, people who explicitly react to talent who is, who is starring in the show. We saw a 10% increase in talent-specific reactions would increase the fraction engaged in live viewing by 0.4% and a 20% by 0.9%. So these are tangible things that we can see week over week that are being impacted or are being, emotional reactions are serving as a bellwether for these increases. So let's make it real. So um, do we have a lot of This Is Us fans in the audience? Everyone enjoy a good cry once in a while? Yeah, all right, cool. I see you back there. Um, so if we look at season one, episode 17, right? Um, and, I, uh, and we look, and that was on March 7th, 2017. We can see that we're, there were 5,218 total emotional reactions against the live airing of that program. And when we say live airing, we mean plus or minus three hours from the linear airtime window. That's Canvas's definition of live. And we can see that that's up significantly from the previous episode, which is episode 16, which only had 1,807 show-related emotional reactions. So we see quite a large jump between episode 16 and episode 17 in total emotional reactions. Similarly, from a talent standpoint, we saw episode 17 had 465 talent-related emotional reactions, people who are calling out characters. That also represents a jump from the previous episode, which had 349. So in both instances, we saw both total emotional reactions increase and character-specific reactions increase. And the very next episode, which was episode 18, saw a plus 10% increase in live viewers. Okay, so just illustratively, we saw big jumps on both sides and then a 10% increase in live viewers the next week. This is just illustrative. And that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you. And I think, uh, you this, right? I think it's, you think you're, I think they, yeah, one of two Dan's. Yeah, one of two Dan's. Dan, Dan Schiffman from T-Vision will, actually it's a good segue from talking about attention to measuring attention. So. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Dan Ackerman from Samba TV. Uh, for those of you who don't know who we are, uh, we're a TV data and analytics company, uh, probably held about 200 people. Uh, companies like the Walt Disney Company, Time Warner, IPG Media Brands are investors in the business. Uh, we do visual content recognition. Uh, that's how we capture TV data and analytics. Uh, we sit in about 13 and a half million televisions, uh, are collecting fully opt-in data today uh, in the US, uh, about another six million globally, so a little over 20 million. Uh, what do we do with that? Uh, we get a good understanding of, of what people are watching. So I think, Aaron, you had the, uh, the, lo the graphic that I normally use, which is that cute little family from the 1950s. Um, 10 years ago, uh, how, many pe how many people were on Facebook 10 years ago? Anybody know? I'll tell you, 5.5 million, um, over 2 billion today. Uh, thousands of hours, millions of hours uh, consumed on uh, direct-to-consumer streaming devices, thousands of channels. Um, we have a huge consumer problem, uh, very difficult to find what to watch. Uh, I think $15 billion more than uh, invested in content than there was even two years ago. So uh, we have a, uh, you know, a rich uh, uh, base of programming to watch, but very difficult to find it. Um, and also, as, a, uh, as an advertiser, incredibly difficult to find um, the right people at the right time um, in the right programming. So. Uh, what we focus on is helping to uh, call all of that down, uh, make it easier for consumers uh, to find the programming that they want, and make it easier for advertisers to understand what's impactful out there. 
Um, so when we think about measurement, um, it's not necessarily about audience measurement. We'll leave that to Nielsen and Comscore. Uh, we think a little bit more about uh, what's the impact of that? What's the relationship between all these devices? What's the relationship between all these different sources of content? Uh, and what's the relationship of where an advert or a consumer uh, is exposed to advertising? And what does that do? How does that drive people um, to emotional responses? But more importantly, how does it drive them to conversion? Did they buy something? Did they sign up for something? Uh, did they become a customer of mine? Uh, and really understanding that full funnel is difficult to do if you don't have a direct connection between all of those digital devices uh, and that television, which is still the anchor and the core of uh, where uh, all of your entertainment is being consumed. Um, so we look at... Uh Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. A few different uh, steps along the way down that funnel, um, looking at kind of top of funnel things like emotional uh, connections and uh, your perception of a brand. And then we also look at all the way down to, did I walk into a store? Did I go to a website? Did I buy something? So just wanted to share uh, a few statistics today of a study that we did recently uh, with a big, uh, large Fortune 500 uh, home improvement retailer. Um, so we do a, a, a thing in market, we call it broadcast conversion rate, but it's essentially looking at the conversion. Um, so you have insights into attribution um, from exposures across uh, all of the different screens, all of the different sources that consumers are getting their content and being exposed to ads. Uh, so we work with this company to take a look at what is most effective? What programs, what channels, what networks, what time of day, what creative, what uh, order of creative across these different devices was making the biggest impact, and what was the time horizon? Nick, when you talk about audiences, you talk about C3, you talk about C7, these are relevant as a uh, programmer, understand what the audience was, but there's a C infinity, really. If I'm an advertiser and I'm spending a dollar, I want to understand how that dollar impacted somebody to go uh, buy something and go and convert. And it really doesn't matter to me if it happened in 24 hours or it happened in 24 months. Every product has a different consideration cycle. Um, so understanding what that impact was and being able to look back in history uh, and see what those conversion windows are, you need to be flexible, you need to have scaled data, uh, and you need to have really deep visibility into what they're doing. So uh, we, for this particular advertiser, we were looking at store visitation and understanding uh, what the impact of a digital ad and a TV ad led to uh, someone walking into a store and on what time horizon that happened. 
Um, so to be able to do that, you have to understand what's happening on the TV, but you also have to uh, understand what's happening with all the other devices in the household. And that connectivity, uh, that integration in the TV, and the understanding of all those devices and being able to map them together uh, is what helps to, uh, to create that, that uh, connective tissue between them. Um, so insights like you know, what programs were, were most effective. You talked about attention, you talked about connection, um, but being able to quantify what that impact was. And you're right, sometimes you're watching a show and you're doing something else. 95% of the time you have another device in your hand. Uh, and that can be pretty powerful if you can uh, build the relationship between the two of them. Um, so looking at you know, endemic and non-endemic programming for a, uh, a home improvement store was pretty important to understand where their team investments were having impact. Uh, also looked at you know, what was the recency. Uh, if you were exposed to an ad on Thursday, if you were exposed to an ad on Monday, um, what did that do in getting you into the store uh, on, uh, on that weekend where the, the majority of purchases were happening? Um, and also just to look at uh, creative. You know, uh, we talk about billions going into programming creative. Um, we don't often talk about the amount of money that's going into the TV creative that people put on the air. Very difficult to optimize that. You can't optimize that like a display ad or like an online video ad. Um, so you're making a big bet on that creative when you shoot it put it in the can, and then go to air. This advertiser in particular uh, had about 12 different creatives. So understanding that re rotation, which is something you actually can optimize on television, is pretty critical um, in making sure that you're getting the maximum uh, impact out of every dollar you're spending on television. Uh, and being able to look at that 14-day window that we discovered along with them, uh, which was that, uh, that critical time frame and exposing an advertiser or a consumer uh, to these ads for paint and for other products uh, to understand what was driving them into store, driving online to do discovery about those products. And being able to map that. Uh, we, we talk a lot about reach and frequency in this business, um, but don't often correlate that to what was the impact of driving a conversion. So being able to tie those together. And it's not always as intuitive. An ad on This Is Us, very expensive, huge reach, uh, but it may not be uh, that touch point with the consumer that's driving them to do the thing that you want them to do. Uh, and as I mentioned before, looking at those creatives and looking at over a long time horizon, over 14 days, 30 days, 60 days, um, being able to understand that uh, and move outside these traditional you know, buckets of, uh, of C3 and C7, which frankly are, are irrelevant when you can really get down to and quantify what the impact was um, on moving that consumer to a conversion point. And ultimately, it's about uh, breaking down those silos. Uh, to put something into a digital bucket, put something into a TV bucket isn't relevant anymore. Uh, it's all great content. Uh, it's all considered television. It doesn't really matter uh, what screen you're watching on it at what time, as long as you can measure it and understand the impact of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now we will have the other Dan, Dan Ackerman, Dan Schiffman from Dan TV, Schiffman. TV Vision. All right, right, Dan. Good morning. Wait for this presentation to load up. We got a TVOT on the ceiling. All right. Great. So I, my name is Dan Schiffman. I'm a co-founder of TVision Insights and the chief revenue officer. I'm going to talk to you about, uh, one, how we measure attention the most accurate and deterministic way, and two, how attention leads to outcomes. And the majority of that will be on outcomes. Um, so first off, right, um, you know, this is, uh, we're probably going to have some good stock uh, overlap here, right? But this is, this is watching TV, right? Uh, and, and, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, 30 years ago uh, when we sat down as a family to watch television, um, you know, the distractions were your grandparents and a magazine. Um, but uh, 
you know, TV watching has changed. And uh, in the age, this one's definitely overlapped. Uh, you know, in, in this age of distraction, where it's tweets, snaps, likes, and, uh, you know, Instagram notifications, you have your laptop and your, your phone, as well as a multitude of other devices, um, there are many things that are going to pull, uh, pull you away from, uh, from the screen. And, uh, and, but the problem is that the actual measurement of TV, for the, for the most part, really hasn't changed. Um, you know, the way we measure TV is done the same way it was 30 years ago. And, um, you know, that, that really needs to change in an environment where we consume media in a very different way. Um, and, you know, the last kind of piece here of this intro is really that there's a big difference between, um, you know, being in the room and actually paying attention. And, and what is an exposure, really? Um, and uh, what I'm going to walk you through today uh, will we'll tell you a bit more about uh, what is the impact of the difference between the family in the back and in the first uh, left section and the family on the right. Um, so quick uh, summary of, of us before I get started on, on um, you know, the impact we've seen. So we are an attention measurement company. Um, we have a just a panel that is deployed across the U.S. and also overseas where we measure person-level data on precisely who's in the room and when, and if and when they're paying attention to the screen, second by second, person by person. So this isn't a proxy. It's actually eyes on screen attention. And these three scenarios you see here, TV on, person in room, eyes on screen, we discern between each of these, and we do that, again, uh, at a person level, second by second. So... Uh, you know, we, we have this fonts that never works in other, uh, in other laptops. So uh, we are, uh, you know, the only source of syndicated attention data. And we have this data across every program and ad airing uh, for over the past two years. So, that, you know, we, we've worked with buy and sell side. You know, how does uh, Ford, one of Ford's creatives this year compare to last year? How did the auto category compare versus, um, you know, GM's cars at that point in time? Um, so really, really rich data, and it's all um, on OTT as well as on demand and, um, you know, linear television. Cool. So I'm going to walk through a couple case studies today, um, how attention helps us uh, explain future outcomes, which is fun, uh, how ratings compare to attention, um, how content and context actually do drive greater attention, and then ultimately um, how every single second of attention uh, matters exponentially. So first, uh, fun one. Uh, so we, uh, we did a lot of analysis last year uh, on the, uh, the election cycle and on the debates. And, uh, you know, in, in a, I thought this was quite relevant since we're going through the tax reform bill was just passed. This was one of the uh, first debates. And, uh, you know, listen, Donald Trump is the king of attention, so I, I'm not going to claim that we, we predicted the election. Uh, but uh, we were able to show that Donald Trump not only was uh, the candidate in almost all of the debates that got the most eyes on screen attention, but the actual topic of tax reform was the most uh, engaging topic uh, of the debate. Um, and, you know, what we've also found is we, we've, looked at, uh, we've looked at ratings as we traditionally um, compare them, and then we've looked at attention. And we say, you know, where is there overlap, where isn't there? And what we've been able to find is that there are um, you know, a significant number of shows and, and, and airings that may be very high ratings, but may be low attention, right? You might turn the TV on, um, but you may not be actually looking at the screen. It's, it's background noise. 
And, and you know, to us, there's a, there's a big difference from an advertising perspective and even from a, a content perspective, um, actually being in the room uh, or turning on the TV and actually paying attention to the screen. And if you're an advertiser, if you're a marketer, you really want that person to be engaged, right? You'd rather be in slightly lower ratings but really high attention with a greater propensity to actually get that, that eyes on screen attention. And, and so here's another case study, and this is another a fun one. So we looked at, uh, I don't know if, if anyone here watches football. I presume you do, since a uh, very significant portion of the American population does. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, he is featured in State Farm's advertisements on TV. So we looked at, um, well, how, does, how do the Aaron Rodgers State Farm ads perform across all TV? How do they perform in the NFL? And then how do they perform in Green Bay Packers games? So when you looked at just uh, that State Farm ad with Aaron Rodgers across TV, aside from football, you know, it indexed around 100. It did OK. Um, but when we looked at how did that ad actually perform in NFL games, it actually had a 30% increase in the level of attention people paid. That means 30% more attention. So if we were looking at seconds, right, if they paid 10 seconds before, they're paying 13 seconds now. And um, so interesting, right? That I mean, and we also compared this, by the way, to the average ad in the NFL, and, and this held true. So uh, cool. But then what happened when Aaron Rodgers was actually playing in that game, right? And that lift went up to 42%, right? So you got a 30% lift because the, you know, the character, right, Aaron Rodgers, was relevant to the content, but even more so when he was specifically relevant to the game, you saw that lift go up 12% uh, to 42% over, uh, over the ad airings elsewhere. So really interesting. We've done a number of these, um, but the Aaron Rodgers one, interesting example. And an another, another key one here, so you know, we get asked all the time, does attention lead to outcomes, right? And to us, like, yes, um, you have to pay attention to something in order for it to have an impact. So one of the more recent ones we did was to look at store visits, right? And we looked at what we call active exposures, meaning uh, the, the ad ran on your TV, but uh, there wasn't anyone in the room. Visible exposures, which means someone was in the room, but they weren't actually looking at the screen. And attentive exposures, meaning someone actually looked at the screen. And we controlled for each of those and looked at over the course of two years. And what we found was that attention was four times more predictive of store visits than any of the other metrics. In fact, the one, I mean, attention was also the one measure that actually was able to prove wear out. So um, in addition to kind of, you know, leading us to this, this outcome, it also um, corroborated the fact that att attentive exposures are very different than, you know, what we call visible in room or active exposures. Um, so a little bit on how we work with the industry. So on, if you ask about the, the buy side of the industry for marketers, right, we've, we've assisted marketers in, in how they plan their media from a, a planning perspective, using rankers, uh, an API feed of our data for that, how we can actually help them do in-flight optimizations where we can analyze every single creative that's running and figure out which one is actually getting greater attention in your target. Um, we've, we've done competitive intelligence where we have uh, all this in a dashboard where you're actually able to see how you versus your competitors are performing on, on television and, and as well as looking at campaign and ad effectiveness. So how are you doing versus the category? How are your ads performing? How is your brand actually um, getting attention on TV? And more recently, we've actually been able to extend that across platforms. 
So now we're able to actually show you not only you know, how are people paying attention to your advertising and your content on TV, but also uh, extending that to how can I actually activate audiences who did or did not pay attention to my ad on TV on other platforms, uh, be it social or other digital platforms or even on OTT. And we're also able to measure the attention of those, those ad exposures on OTT. And the last case study I wanted to close with here was that every second of attention matters, and it matters uh, with, with, uh, with exponentially more. Uh, so in this instance, we looked at TuneIn, which um, some of my colleagues also looked at. And what we saw was that we did, a, this, we did this for Shark Week. We've done it for other events as well. We looked at everyone who paid attention to, uh, or not paid attention, was exposed to a Shark Week ad. And we said, OK, people that were just in the room to a, a Shark Week promo ad, what was the conversion rate of those viewers? And people that paid one second of attention, what was their conversion? And then people that paid up to you know, three seconds or more, what was their conversion rate? And what we found was that the conversion rate from one second to greater than three seconds more than doubled. It was roughly 2.3 to 2.4x. Um, so you know, getting that extra two seconds of attention right, can actually drive your conversion rate up more than 2x. Um, and the data that we provide enables both sides of the industry to actually create better content to find better areas to advertise so that they can actually drive that lift. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, so use real data to drive real outcomes. And um, looking forward to talking with the panel. Thank you. Thank you. So that's great. Thank you for all sticking to the time. So we have some time for questions. Um, I'm going to start with one question, and then we'll open up to the audience. But um, I guess really, I'm, I'm curious to hear, I think those were all really different and interesting takes on how we watch, how people watch TV. What, what, was the, what has been the biggest surprise in either what you were sharing with us or maybe even what you heard from the other panelists? So we'll start with Aaron. Sure, no, I think that's a great question. Um, I guess one of the biggest surprises when we look at our own data at least is the rate of adoption. Is incredible, right? The rate of adoption of OTT viewing, of, of time spent uh, consuming streaming content, of the shift of attention. Um, attention is shifting very, very rapidly into uh, streaming services. And I, I think it's that rate of adoption that is surprising. And you have to take note of it. You have to uh, consider that. And then the other thing that's very surprising, and I think this is fascinating, is because we have, at ComScore, we have um, the digital side of measurement and then we have the television side of measurement, we actually have access to 35 million households of uh, cable boxes, satellite boxes, uh, you know, linear TV viewing data, right? So we, we know what people are watching on not just OTT, but linear TV. So there are a portion of those households that overlap between we can see both their linear TV viewing and their OTT streaming. And when you look at those households, um, what gets very fascinating is the average household who is streaming OTT services today are spending about 25 hours a month on Netflix. 25 hours a month with Netflix on, not just Netflix, but Netflix on the television screen in the household. So if you think about that as an advertiser, I used to be on the advertising side, and it's like, that's 25 hours a month that that big screen is not available to me to put a 30-second ad on because it's Netflix. So we are looking at now, what we want to help advertisers with is, they still watch linear TV in those households. 
but what are they watching? And how do I need to adjust my plan so that I can ensure I can reach those households, even though they're spending a lot more time on Netflix, they're still watching something else, and how do I reach them right when they're in the linear space? Thank you. Stu, how about you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for the study that we presented, probably the, the biggest surprise to me and my colleagues was, you know, everybody in the room is familiar with the concept of social television, right? This is nothing new. It's been around for a number of years. People who are actively participating while they watch. But the cool thing about the study was that it's a proof point that fandom as a subset of the total viewership is absolutely indicative of performance or outcomes, right? And more specifically, people who are that much more engaged, i.e. referencing a character, a specific nuance related with the show, represent an even more qualified subset that's driving a more effective week-over-week -week outcome. So, you know, tuning that signal, as I mentioned, is really important. We weren't sure what we were going to find, but we were really happy to see that all of this qualitative color that we're discovering around people reacting to plot points, characters, different show elements, premieres, finales, it, ha it plays an active role in the outcome. Um, it, it, it's a meaningful signal that we need to study and track and pay attention to. So that was, for us, that was probably the most Thank surprising you. thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not surprised, but something that we're tracking closely, uh, reach and frequency. We've been talking about it since the beginning of, of advertising. Um, and to your point, 25 hours on Netflix makes it very difficult. So um, we focused a lot of attention on building a device map in the household. So we know what the household is watching because our visual content recognition sits in the TV. But mapping all the devices in the household so you can get a true, uh, real clear uh, signal on reach and frequency against those consumers. Um, and you know, oftentimes there is a a, uh, a misalignment. Uh, your reach is not what you thought it was, and your frequency is often going to a very finite group of people. Um, also, that connectivity with those devices helps to open up where uh, previously, you know, your previous employer, uh, you, you couldn't reach somebody while they were watching uh, Netflix uh, through a traditional television ad. But having the relationship between a device in their lap while they're watching TV opens up a whole new uh, area of addressability. Uh, it just happens on a different screen. So that connective tissue between the two and being able to understand uh, how your content and how your uh, advertising is reaching the, the target consumer at what frequency and then being able to action on it, put the ad in the right place to influence that consumer, uh, is something that is becoming more and more difficult as more adoption of these non-ad supported platforms happens. Yeah, so uh, we, we did some uh, a pretty deep study recently looking at um, so digital distractions and how that relates to co-viewing. And what we found, so the assumption was that when there's multiple people simultaneously viewing that you, um, you're more distracted. Um, that ended up not being the case, in fact. What we found was that uh, when people are solo viewing, they spend much more time with their device than when they're viewing with others. And when they view with others, they spend much more time actually looking at the screen. Um, so for a, an advertiser on you know, linear or OTT, right, if you're getting a, a co-viewing environment, you're actually likely able to drive greater engagement to the content advertising. And actually, I thought it's kind of relevant to the, to the study you did, Stu, so maybe we should chat. And Helen, I'll back, I'll back what Dan A, Dan a said. Um, I don't think we pay nearly enough attention to reach and frequency right now. As we are transitioning to this new um, modes of consumption, video consumption, we've, we've I, and, and no offense to the attention side of things, I think it's great. We, we technology is allowing us to, to get much deeper into the attention side of things, but we're also kind of forgetting about the idea of just basic reach and 
frequency. So if, if my consumer is now shifting the way that they view content, am I really keeping up with how many consumers am I reaching and how often do I reach them? And I, I think that we're probably not paying quite enough attention to that very basic concept. Thank you. Um, I'm getting the signals. Unfortunately, we don't have time for questions from the audience, but I think everyone will be around for the, at least through the first break, so if you want to find any of us, we'd be happy to ask questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. sisters hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.